0: hello and welcome to xbox one party chat excuse me
1: uh wait hang on a second Uh, excuse me sorry uh yeah you're you're saying the wrong things and and this is my line so can you you keep it quiet please okay you're listening to indie game sorry
0: you're listening to indie game ravers
1: rave on. on to Indie Game Ravers, the show where we rave about your games. Later on, we're going to be doing our first ever Greenlight Spotlight feature, where we talk to some of the world's up-and-coming game-developing talent. We also have a very influential guest who will be taking part in this week's rave battle. She's everyone's favourite Irish gamer.
2: Ooh, Alan.
1: Hang on, Dan. I'll I'll introduce you in a second. Right, where was I? Everyone's favourite Irish gamer... You may know her from running a PlayStation Four related podcast. But, but Alan, uh, Dan, patience. She's Irish. She's a podcaster. It's Reese Miller. Hello. Hello, Reese. How are you today?
0: Um, I've got a little bit of a contention.
1: What's that? Not another one. What's that? Um. Well, I'm not a girl. Right.
0: I don't do any podcasts about the PlayStation 4. What do you guys actually do any research, or...?
1: Well, Dan did a bit of research, but he's a bit of a technophobe, seeing see, and it's, it's a bit
2: of a problem. Wait, I also have a contention. Oh,
1: not another one. Seriously, two in this episode.
2: Yeah. I thought we were done with this technophobic gamer angle. Well, didn't you listen last week? Yeah, every, everyone did. I didn't.
1: You didn't listen?
2: Oh, he's, he's alone there.
1: well never mind that right Dan's got his information wrong something's clearly gone wrong along um the way Uh, Reese, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself
0: yeah well for a start I'm not Reese. that's my Finnish co-host uh my name's Ross right I'm a Scottish gamer from Scotland I do Scottish things and I run the official Xbox party chat podcast
1: oh that makes a lot of sense now why didn't you get that information dude Seriously, we—I'm sure I've listened to one of those. What is it? Xbox Party Chat. Yeah, that. Yeah, I'm—I've listened to that like one time. One yeah. time.
2: Yeah, yeah, I saw it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I like that actually. It's good, good show. It's really good. Are you looking forward to this week's rave battle?
0: I don't know what that is.
1: Who even asked this guy to come on? What are you doing here?
0: I get told I was getting paid for this, so hey, I like money.
1: Dan, did you tell Reese? I mean, <clears throat> Ross, that he was getting paid.
2: Um, I may have mentioned uh, a fee. At the end of it, but I was expecting him to pay us.
1: Ross is going to pay us. That's going to happen. So, let's just move on to the rave battle, shall we? I'm sensing an awkward air. I don't want people in their cars to be tuning off because of this moment. You guys have really screwed this up.
2: Okay, let's go to the rave battle. Welcome to this week's rave battle, the segment where we rant about gaming subjects and have to stick to one side. This week, we'll be discussing which platform is better, Mobile or consoles? So, Ross, what do you think?
0: To be honest, I don't think this is much of a debate because let's face it, I can kill it with one point. Power. Consoles have power. This week, the Xbox One Scorpio is getting announced. The PS4 Pro is already out there. The games, the graphics, everything that you can see on your console, you guys can't even get close to on your mobile devices. Could you ever see your mobile devices running? Gears of War 4? Halo, Forza, any of these titles?
2: Well, I, I think the demands of a mobile platform don't don't require the graphics to be too fantastic. I mean, what I see on that screen on my, my mobile platform is is fine. Like, it's, a, it's very relative to the screen that you're playing it in. I don't think that that's a particularly important thing. And I don't think graphics are that important when I'm playing a mobile game.
1: No, I mean, the mobile game's there to entertain you and keep you occupied, and you can do it anywhere, so that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't really need good graphics to make a good game. We've already had this debate where I definitely was on the right side of it.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's about the content, you know, like they can, they can still release a perfectly good game without it looking photorealistic. I mean, it's still believable, and they can still push graphical boundaries on. Yeah,
1: on the and platform. plus there are already games out there, like GTA, you can now play on a mobile you can get those games you know i know that they're old classics but still that is still good graphics for a mobile and you can take that anywhere you know you have to sit at home with your gears of war with your forza with your halo sorry about that but that's just the way it is whereas us with our mobile games we can take it anywhere we want how do you feel about that ross
0: well i can use a vpn in my laptop and stream to that and take it anywhere i want that's
1: just ridiculous you have to go through all that effort to be able to play a console anywhere you want and on the go like have you ever just been you know at a restaurant it's getting kind of boring you look around the people that you're with not really worth speaking to really you know you get out look,
0: you, you Alan, and i've just got good friends to be honest with you that just that's just poor choices and who you hang about with more than anything to be honest uh, the day that i pull out a mobile phone and start playing a game at dinner is a date that i no longer go out for dinner to be honest when i game i want to be fully involved i can't get that with a mobile these big triple a games where the amazing cinematics the thousands of people on screen at once all these things that you can't get in a mobile is what i want to pay my money I want the full experience and simply you cannot get that when you're in your restaurant ignoring your friends playing your game
2: Well, I'd I'd argue that there's nothing more social than playing mobile games amongst each other you can share your replays with each other, just tilt the screen to each other
1: yeah, keep playing, you can like, you know, you can have competition who can do better. I've had a lot you can of good pass bands it around, there. yeah. Exactly. Pass the game around. We can there's have a little nothing, party when we're out and about.
2: Absolutely nothing more social than sitting down at a restaurant. You know, food secondary, games primary. And that's that's giving games the sort of respect that they deserve there.
1: You know, there's a gaming cafe in um Nottingham and that I'm sure that generates good business. There'll be because, plenty more as well, because yeah, it's the future exactly. That is the future, the future of gaming.
0: Does the gaming cafe have consoles around about it?
1: Yes. It Uh, does. However, every cafe is a gaming cafe with a
2: mobile. There's a reason they haven't outlawed it.
0: Outlawed it? (laughs) You can no longer use mobiles and your greasy spoon. When I go to the pictures, I want to be seeing amazing movies like Pirates of the Caribbean and The Mummy. You know, these huge budget, big movies with amazing storylines and fantastic effects. But, you know, when you're going there, you're talking about the mobile games are equivalent to the the black and white french movie that two people go to the cinema to see that that's a comparison i want the full experience i want the explosions pirate ships and everything nothing like what you're talking
2: about I mean yeah on on a very basic simple level that is the most pleasurable thing but I think when you want the most out of it you will have to get the equivalent of watching a a sophisticated black and white movie and
1: Citizen Kane was a very good film I'll have you know yes
2: best film ever made
1: but yeah and that's again we I like something quite digestible
2: Is that why you're in a cafe?
1: It is. I'm digesting food while digesting my easy-to-play game, my fun, interesting, chilled-out game where I don't have to set it up, connect it to anything, just going out there, just playing my game, you know?
2: Yeah, it's the ease of access, ease of use that is the, the strength of a mobile game. It's the way that it brings people together and includes everybody. I don't like having to prepare myself to go out there and... Try and get some enjoyment. I like the instant enjoyment. That's what mobile games affords us.
1: And the great thing about mobile games is there is room for improvement. Like don't you think that consoles are getting to a point where they've probably reached their peak and are probably going to go downhill a little bit because they're going to be producing more of the same whereas mobile platforms have the ability to give you a diverse range of games to play. And a lot of the time those games are free so you don't really have to pay anything.
0: Apart from microtransactions let's face it the mobile industry are riddled with micro micro transactions they draw you in with a small or no price point and give you a couple of levels of super mario run but no when you are just hooked they charge you £8.99 to even just continue with the game that you're playing it disgusts me when i buy my big AAA 50 pound release when it comes out on release date i'm not getting that i am literally just sitting there and I can play my game to my heart's content.
1: I really liked playing Destiny, but then they locked me out of the game after I spent £100 on everything that they had except
2: one. So, yeah.
0: Well, I can't even defend Activision, so we'll maybe weave Destiny out of this.
2: No, I think that's a. That's no, a I very, think we should bring a, Destiny into it's this a very weak point of consoles. I think as, if you're beating mobile phones with that rod, then you have to sort of beat consoles with that rod, which sort of nullifies the entire argument. Exactly, right? and it still well, costs
1: a lot more if you're having to do microtransactions. They do cost a heck of a lot more to do.
0: I bought zero DLC for Destiny. I played through the base game and I got to the first raid, and I put my controller down. So is there a balloon in the background? I think someone's got a balloon um but we're yeah, up bloom, bloom for the party
1: any. when we beat you at the raid battle all <laughs>
0: oh, right okay uh like i never bought any dlc for destiny and i felt as if i got my full money's worth out of that shooter it's like
1: five pounds worth now isn't it did you enjoy the story i mean bill nye told us some great things was that bill nye yeah yeah bill nye he oh. says I could tell you stories that I'm not going to tell you until you buy Destiny 2. You had better things to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I never bought that game for the story. I bought it because it's a bungee shooter. You don't buy the bungee shooters for the story. You buy them for the mechanics, the fun you're going to have. And it was a great co-op game. I was quite happy with my purchase there.
2: Well, I don't know. I think you you play the multiplayer for not story, but I think you play the single player for the story. And you know what? For free, we got the story on our mobile devices. You get the Bungie app and you get every little piece of story without the... The stress of hearing Bill Nye's gruff tones in your ears. Exactly, and
1: so that- we could enjoy the story of Destiny, um, and we don't even have to pay for the game. Whereas you want to, you know, play all the games on your consoles and stuff. I think, well,
2: yeah, that, that's a strong, strong argument for companion companion apps that uh, mobile devices allow you to have. They enrich the experience on a console. At no price whatsoever. I think that's that's the really really brilliant Exactly. Perk. And we yeah, and we
1: can enjoy the, the universe of destiny more so than you can just playing it.
2: By reading. Reading and interacting. It's touch screen.
1: Reading's good, okay?
2: There's swiping involved. There's tilting if you put the gyroscopic tilt Wait, on your is this phone. Tinder? Is it? No. 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 Tenders another app. It's, a, it's, a, it's another perk for mobile games.
0: Just when you're swiping and um, but yeah like okay so we don't like microtransactions, but i do like dlc you never get dlc on mobile devices you just get the game that you've paid 57 pounds to unlock all the levels for and then there's no actual dlc as such
1: well that's interesting because all of it is dlc and it's free how's it free well every game that i want to want to download it's like technically downloadable content right
2: i don't think that mobile games hamper themselves with the the weight, the anchor of DLC. I think they've pushed past the fad, I mean the disgusting fad of DLC. I think people on consoles have accepted that DLC is the way to go forward. They'll release DLC on day one, but with mobile games there's more of a, what, what you see is what you get there. Yeah. People know what they're getting in there. They don't even exploit people with the DLC market.
1: They appreciate their audience to the point where they just give you everything. And yes, there is microtransactions but that's, again, it's a choice a lot of the time,
2: you don't need it's to keep not. going. That
0: choice is removed. I wanted to play through Super Mario Run without putting my hand in my pocket, and it did not let me do that.
2: Yeah, that's a big company. I think, yeah, I think Super Mario Run is the exception to the rule. There, I think, you think you've got well, the only a one. Bit, a bit like Activision. I uh, know. I think, I think that with Super Mario Run, they they took from the consoles, and uh, that's probably why it's failing because it's a bit too console-y. I think if they are stuck to the mobile ethos of just giving people everything and letting them unlock it over time, then I think it would have been more healthy. But yeah, I definitely think that's not the the rule with mobile games. Yeah, a, something great games about mobile there.
1: games is, yes, they do say you have to use microtransactions to move on forward faster, but if you're patient and relaxed you can just sort of take your time with it and I kind of enjoy that with think, some think, games.
2: Think about the same company, Pokemon Go. They release uh, 100 new Pokemon for free. Exactly.
1: It's a free Pokemon game. If you tried to buy a Pokemon game for console, they never go down in price. But we've got a nice free Pokemon Go app on our mobiles.
2: And you know what else it did? What? Got me out of the house. Got you out of the house. Got me exploring this beautiful country so, you know, and you're... many other countries.
0: Maybe I don't want to leave the house. Maybe I'm overweight. Maybe I like to sit about in my pants. Now, can I walk about playing Pokemon Go in my pants in my local park? No, I'll be arrested. But I can play all my games to my heart's content in front of my TV. I'm a happy man.
1: See, this is starting to bring a lot of things to light, actually, about that point you made earlier uh, about the restaurant and how you wouldn't go with a load of friends and play games. Because after what you've just said, I'm starting to conclude that maybe you don't have many friends.
0: Is this a personal attack? Adam? Alan?
1: It's not so much a personal attack, it's just taking evidence garnered from now and then, you know?
0: I have plenty of friends on Twitter, and every single one of them is valued to me.
2: I think think the point here is that, yeah, there are console gamers out there, and they might enjoy friends sometimes, they might like to see them, but mobile gamers are people, are just regular people. They're people who interact and socialise, and it's something that enhances their lives rather than, is the centre of their lives. I think mobile gaming is the people's platform, whereas consoles are the type of platform for someone who does want to sit down in their front room in their underwear, Doing not nothing. talking to anyone. Yeah, I'm
0: talking to you right now, aren't I?
2: Over the internet. Yeah. I mean, okay. you're playing
1: a game right now, aren't you? You're on, you're on the Xbox, right?
0: No. That. What are you playing, Ross? Nothing. I'm watching a stream on Mixer of someone else playing the game.
2: Another point is the size of the installs on mobile phones are a lot smaller than the typical size of installs on games. If I'm sitting down to play a mobile game, I know that I could be up and playing it in how long? Say five minutes and it will be installed. You can play it straight off. When I buy a PlayStation game or an Xbox game, I know that there will be, for one, a 50 gigabyte install onto the hard drive using up space. Two, an update, usually day one update, which depending on your internet speed could take an hour or so and then you start playing it and even then when you put it onto your console it could have after installation at the title screen i think that the ease of accessing the game is just 300 percent faster on mobile consoles
1: yeah consoles are um consoles are moving backwards a little bit because um, i remember when i had a playstation one you'd go out buy the game and you play it but nowadays you have to go out buy the game Wait for the download, like you just said, wait for the updates, wait for it to get ready for you, and then as soon as it's ready, you can play it and you don't have to do that on a mobile you just literally download and go and i know you're gonna say well you do have to download it and you will have to wait to an extent but no more so than you had to wait back in the day when you would go and queue up at the shops to get your favorite game no we could just get a game straight away play it instantly whereas ross if you went and got a game like i bet when you go and get gears of war you've got to sit there for a while aren't you until you can actually play it what a waste of time when you could be sat on your mobile playing fun games without waiting really
0: well a couple of points there in comparison to the space in your mobile, some of the better games that you've mentioned, like GTA, which was about 5 gigabytes. If you've got an 8 gigabyte phone, what percentage of that is it that you've actually used of your phone? Certainly, so basically on console, sorry, the, the fact is that, yes, it's a larger download, but it may not use as much for a decent game on my console and what it is going to use in your mobile. And certainly, I know it's going to work. If I go out and buy an Xbox game, yes, I've got an install, but I know right there and then it's going to work on there. If you're sitting there with your Windows, iPhone, Android device, you don't actually know if this game is going to run smoothly on your device or not. It may not be coded for your device. It might not look good on your device. It goes back to that whole PC. It takes away from that ease of use that you know everything's going to work and updates, mobile phones have consistently got updates for games. You could not say that consoles have got any more updates than what mobile phones do.
2: I know that if you update a mobile game, it's one update, whereas on the console, you might have to stack updates on top of each other. God forbid you buy a game that's a year old, you'll have about 40 updates ready to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at GTA Online, they constantly update it, constantly update it. And I really like all the free DLC that they give us, but it's starting to clog up the majority of my PlayStation 4 anyway, so it's pretty much the same problem that you just mentioned, except on a bigger scale.
2: It's like watching one of those black and white French films, just watching the updates install,
1: Especially when you play Fallout 4. That's exactly what it's like.
0: I don't understand that.
1: Have you played Fallout 4? Yes. When you start, they have that little... Thing that the video that plays to entertain you, the black and white thing as you install it.
0: I don't know, I walked away and left it.
1: You missed out on some good videos.
0: But yeah, you can't argue that games run like absolute potato on mobiles.
1: Well, they can run quite well, actually. I think the only problem I've ever had with uh, the GTA uh, stuff is the fact that the controls aren't great. Okay, I get that. However, you can actually go out and buy controls for the the mobiles now, and it works out as a cheaper rate, so I'll be playing a pretty good game with good controls anywhere I want, at a lot of a cheaper rate than you would if you wanted to play. I mean, you go out, you can actually buy all the GTA games for about 25 quid now, I think, on PlayStation 4, as far as I know. Um, that's quite a lot. We spend, what, £2.50 for, for each of those games, so about 7 seven fifty is that, for all three of them, and we can literally take them anywhere, play them anywhere, and if we just pay that little bit extra to get the controls then we can, you know, we can have quite a good time. It's almost like a portable console anyway. You look
2: cool on the train too, so... You look really funky. You really don't. I've not had any complaints. That's
0: because no one's trying to make eye contact or speak to you. Now, you're mentioning GTA as if this is an amazing selling point. It's a port of a console game from 10 years ago that you can now sort of play in your mobile, if it works. Is that really a selling point?
2: I do think they upgraded the reflections and the the light, the draw distance.
1: Exactly. That's not a 10 year old game. That is a current game because of the updates.
2: Yeah. Another thing is the fact that if you buy a game, say, when did you start buying games on on the App Store for an iPhone or an iPad?
0: I've had an iPhone for 10 years.
2: 10 years? Okay. So. Games that you bought 10 years ago on that account, you'll still be able to carry on and play on every new device that you get. You'd still be able to play it on an iPad if you upgraded to that. The fact is that all of this money that you're spending isn't wasted, whereas on a PlayStation or an Xbox, you will have to keep rebuying these old classics. So I could have bought GTA San Andreas when it was released, and I'll still be able to play it 10 years in the future, whereas when I upgrade to a PlayStation 5 and Xbox 2, <laughs> um you'll have to we'll have to rebuy these remasters and they will be making money off it no doubt. They'll be advertising it as the next big thing with they'll probably add VR to it. Nobody needs VR on it. We just need to play the games that we originally bought.
1: Yeah.
0: You always need VR.
1: We've got you VR. Add VR
0: to something. It just adds more. No, you've got a piece of cardboard that you strap to your phone.
1: It's VR. That's not VR. That made me feel all the feels when I was when I was going on that roller coaster. I felt pretty ill cuz i don't like roller coasters but it felt real <laughs> it
2: brings a really good point though how cheap is it to get vr on a mobile platform exactly. compared to on a console yeah, how much you... Would, if you quickly google it about 300 pounds to get vr on a console and wait 10 quid to get it on a mobile platform
1: that's cheap as chips and it's good as
2: well it's it it, it further backs up our inclusive the inclusive ethos of mobile platforms and the ease of access like this the mobile platform is the people's platform consoles are a niche market here in comparison to mobiles i'm saying consoles is a large market but mobiles is something that your your nan could play your daughter could play your cousins your mum everyone in your family could play forever
0: sorry i was going to say like so you're bringing cost into this mm-hmm.
3: yeah.
0: you can pick up an xbox one or ps4 for below 250 pounds how much have i got to pay for one of your devices in order to pay a substandard game 500 well, uh, 600
2: i want to say substandard is very subjective there but what you could do you could just go around to someone you know who has it and just pick it up and play it there or they could come around to your house and pick it up and play it there they'll usually carry it with them anyway thus mobile de- mobile devices it's meant if you put to to the house
0: shared. by it you just play it on our console and because the two you could play it at the same time on the same console
2: because we can take it anywhere really do you like to lie down and play games sometimes uh, i love to lie i down. love to lie down lying and play down games. is a good thing you know what
0: that's why i have a tv in my ceiling put oh, mirror. Sorry.
2: A game can be as big as you want it to be when it's on a mobile device. You know what? You just move it closer to your eyeballs. You're always restricted by where you can put the television with a console game. Like, I like to lie down, which means that the distance from where I'm where my head is and the television it's, it's taking up about 10% of my vision. With a mobile device, I can move it as close as I want. I can be as close to the action, as close to the entertainment, as close to the emotion as I want to be.
1: Yeah, when you're playing Real Racer 3 or Real Racing 3, you feel great. You feel amazing because you literally are holding it. It may as well be VR, really, man. You, you, you may as, close as well as can be can sitting
2: inside the car, shifting up and down and speeding at 130 miles an hour down that tarmac. Because that is how real it feels.
1: Exactly. You're not going to get that. It's an
0: actual thing, Real Racing? Yeah,
1: Real oh. Racing 3. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my he God. doesn't know what Real, real <laughs> Racing 3 Ridiculous. Real Racing 3 is one of the most amazing driving games.
2: What, what I'll say to you, just to make it shorter, Real Racing 3 is the third of the Real Racing franchise. It's, wow. it's the one after Real Racing 2. <laughs> you know Real Racing 2, obviously. No, I've never heard of it. Well, just use logic. Fill in the gaps there. The first one, it was called Real Racing.
0: Um, Battlefield's confused me, so I don't know, like, would, is the fourth one gonna be called Real Racing 1?
2: I mean, let's be honest, Xbox has confused me.
0: Yeah, that is true. Well, Why
1: can't they just count these days?
0: I don't know. I really don't know. They're probably too busy playing games on their phone.
1: And with that point, I believe that brings us to a close. Thanks for your fantastic input, Ross. Um, and we, yeah, we really enjoyed having you on the show, but it, I think now it's time we, we move over to the interview, uh, cause you totally lost that.
0: I did not lose anything. That
2: was embarrassing.
1: It was awful, man. Do you want me to not put that out? Cause we really kicked your ass on that. No, you never. Okay. Well, if you guys want to tell us who you think won, myself and Dan or Ross, please message us on Twitter at Indie Game Ravers. But for now, we're going to take us through
2: to the interview did that rain this week we have our very first green light spotlight segment where we talk to up and coming developers who want to get their game seen today we have with us luca parascandolo creator of action roguelike game the wish granter welcome to the show luca hey i just want to start off just by asking what exactly is the wish granter
3: uh so the Mishgrunter is um an action roguelike or roguelite i mean that's a pretty common term for um games that are roguelikes but um it has external progression so it's not like exactly like traditional roguelikes mm-hmm. um uh, the main points of the game i think are strategic combat so it's not like um you have a twin stick shooter where you are just running around and shooting mm-hmm. um it's more um strategic so that uh, in, in a way that it involves a bit of planning, so if you just go rushing through it, it will be hard, so it's a bit of a challenge thing.
2: Could you sp- explain a little bit of the story of the Wish Granter for us?
3: Basically you are playing as uh, heroes, these are people who died in battle, so like um, a knight or something, and uh, they somehow find themselves resurrected in a, in a town. And there's no way to get out of this town, or there's no exit, and, and the only thing uh, they know is this mysterious entity that they can only hear, not see, which they call the Wish-Granter. And it basically tells them to go delve into dungeons to retrieve artifacts, and in return he promises them freedom, eventually.
1: So uh, what like, made you get got started on the uh, making the Wish-Granter?
3: So uh, I I discovered Indie Games um, first, like, Spelunky and Cave Story, which were my my first, like, introduction to Indie Games. And uh, when I started playing those games, I didn't know anything about coding or pixel art or anything like that. So I started playing around with GameMaker. And uh, eventually, I... Started loving coding, thanks to um, coding games, small games, never did anything big. But then, uh, because of that, I ended up studying programming. And when I came to um, graduate, I had to do a thesis. And for my thesis, I did, uh, I based it on procedural generation in video games. And uh, for my thesis, I did the first version of the wish grantor, you could say. So after I graduated, I continued working on it. And uh, this is what I have now.
1: What made you... Uh, gravitate towards that really
3: at some point i discovered roguelikes thanks to thanks to spelunky and uh, really i just like the idea of having endless replayability i think that procedural generation when it's done right it's the best part of a game
2: what do you think the the advantages of procedural generation are and what, what do you think the downfalls of procedural generation are
3: the fact that you have endless replayability is obviously the main advantage. It's it's hard to balance between procedural generation and uh, good content, because sometimes procedural generation can lead to the game feeling a bit dead.
2: Sometimes, like with a, a No Man's Sky, people were, were saying that, that, that it didn't feel like the developers had their hands on it as much.
3: Exactly. I mean, the... The things that the system generates might feel um, dead, you know, it's limited because it's not handcrafted. Like, for example, you mentioned No Man's Sky. When you compare the the playing area, the the maps and the environments from No Man's Sky to something like Skyrim, for example, it's completely different. So procedural generation can definitely be a, a problem when it comes to level design. I still believe that procedural generation can be the future for gaming. I think that we will see more of it eventually, even more in AAA games, because the way things are going right now, gamers are expecting a game to have like two 200 hours of content for a AAA game. So I think eventually we might be seeing more procedure generation in AAA games.
2: Brings out that extra value in it, sort of replayability too, which you mentioned. What are your key influences in the
3: games industry or in the television industry? Uh, so for my influences for the Wish Grant or other... If it's not obvious, it's Legend of Zelda, the main influence. I mean, the way I started was to have this idea to make a procedural generated Legend of Zelda. But obviously, other influences are the Dark Souls series. Lately, a very common influence on a lot of games. Um, but the Dark Souls series is one of my favorite games of all time. Then, than just roguelikes in general, I really like roguelikes. Would you
2: say it's the combat of the Dark Souls very similar to that?
3: Um, the way i i feel like the combat is similar in the way that in uh, in dark souls you have to think about the attacking you don't just go in and spam the attacks you have to really plan what you're doing and in that way i think it's very much similar to dark souls i mean so far the the game is at a certain point where i'm constantly adding content to it so things are always changing and each time i add a new weapon or add a a new type of spell or something it, it just changes a lot so it's going to be a bit tough to balance combat but I want it to be balanced in a way so like in a game similar to Dark Souls where you know you, you have to know what you're doing you, know, have to know, you have to know what you're using and you have to know the advantages and disadvantages of what you're using against a particular enemy.
1: Okay so can you like further explain like the mechanics of the game and how it fits into the roguelike genre?
3: The main t- takeaway from uh, roguelikes is um, Permadeath for grunter. There is a permadeath where the character that you'll be playing, if you die during a dungeon run, that character is lost forever. But uh, you will come back as a new character with maybe a different class. And uh, obviously they will have no experience. They will be a low level cla- character. But things you will have uh, unlocked by progressing the story or um, unlocking uh, permanent unlocks through the wish granter. Um, They are permanent, so even if you do lose the character, permanent isn't as unforgiving as like with traditional roguelikes. There is still uh, an external progression that you will not lose when you die with your character. It's not going to be one of those um, roguelikes where it's just a twin-stick shooter and you kind of rush through each room shooting up everything. It's uh, more of a strategic approach to a roguelike, much like traditional roguelikes. You have to plan. I mean, it's not uh, turn-based, it's action It's in real time, but you do have to plan because um, if you just rush in, you will die. You have to be careful.
1: You are obviously a a developer at heart. What how did you go about forming the story?
3: Um, Much much like everything else in the game, you know, I draw from inspiration. Like I I read a lot of uh, comics and manga. So I draw a lot of inspiration from these stories. And from even television series and anime, uh, I'm very influenced by stories that I see. So I mean, I didn't copy the story, but it's uh, I draw inspiration from stories that I enjoy.
1: What type of genres would you say you
3: enjoy? Kind of mystery, but not like in the traditional sense. Like uh, I like things that keep you guessing. Like you never really know what's uh, what's going on. Like there's always more questions piling up. To obviously building up to a big reveal. That's the kind of thing that I enjoy.
1: Right, and did you say that there's like a mystery at the heart of the Wish Granter that you sort of have to sort of un- unfold as time goes on?
3: Yes, uh, there is uh, the story that is going on as you play the game with the characters and all the people in the town that want to know what the Wish Granter is and what's happening. But there's also um, the lore that you can uncover by finding bits and pieces here and there in dungeons. The lore is about the Witch Grunter, but also um, before to, you know, set up the, the world and the universe in which the Witch Grunter takes place.
2: Hmm. There, there was a frame within the the videos that I've seen, and it seems to hint at either technology or magic. Does magic play a huge part in it, or, or does hidden technologies play a, a big part in the story?
3: um this the story is uh, a bit sci-fi so it's not just fantasy because at, at first glance it's you know a traditional fantasy game but really it's it's very sci-fi as you mentioned in the trailer that's uh there's the whole um there's that piece with the machine at the end i don't know if uh, you know what i'm talking about um but also like how the characters are transported into and out of the dungeons. it's it's very sci-fi
2: yeah it looked it looked like a really refreshing um change of of uh design the the way it's quite medievally drawn but then there is these little touches of technology and magic it's sort of really refreshing to see
3: the plan for for which is to keep everyone guessing like i don't want to reveal a lot in fact there's I, i didn't reveal much of the story
2: like uh, something that stuck out for me is looking at the enemies and how I'd say they're they're quite cute, uh, and that seems quite like a a choice from your part. How how have you gone about defining your art style within the limitations of the engine that you've used?
3: The, defining your my art style is, um, you know, drawing inspiration from uh, Zelda, classic Game Boy era Zelda. So that's the main reason why I went with, you know. Those uh, small sprites, as opposed to something bigger. But uh, there wasn't really any limitation from the engine. I'm I'm developing the game using uh, Microsoft XNA and, and C Sharp. But most of the engine is custom, and I didn't really have any limita- limitations. So it's purely a choice of style to go with that style.
1: Um, what made you make the decision to use that engine in particular?
3: I, I wanted to go... I, because as I mentioned before, I, I had used Game Maker before, but I wanted to go for something that allows me to have more control. So, you know, there's more coding and it doesn't give you a preview of what uh, the level is going to look like. Everything is coded, everything is done in code. So um, I wanted to have a bit more control and uh, I didn't want to go for something like Unity. So I ended up choosing Microsoft XNA, which, might have not been the smartest move because it's now been discontinued. But uh, XNA, what XNA does is give you a set of classes um, that you can use to interact with uh, your hardware. So I'm not doing like very low-level coding where I need to code everything, but it's a bit more code-oriented than something like Game Maker or Unity. If you use Unity or uh, Game Maker or I, I mean. Most of the engines try to, you know, make it easier for the developer. And uh, in hindsight, I should have gone for something like that because it would have saved me a lot of time. But, uh, you know, I I like programming. I really like programming. So this is more my speed, I think.
1: Um, If you were given a budget, what type of games do you see yourself working on in the future?
3: Um, As I said in the, in the beginning, I really like procedural generation. So... Uh, I would imagine that I, if I had the budget, I would love to work on procedural generation on a much larger scale, but also on a persistent scale. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, for example, um, you know, an open world game similar to Skyrim, where everything is procedurally generated, but it also makes sense and looks good
1: certainly and we'd definitely love to see more sort of procedural generated games because when i heard the concept for no man's sky i was really looking forward to it and uh, they could have nailed it but i don't feel like they did
2: Uh, it is very consistent with your with your belief that procedurally generated games are the future
1: certainly and i i would absolutely love you to take that further i'd love to play more of that because i think there's games out there that definitely need that replayability that I mean there's a lot out there that you can replay but it'd be so interesting to have one experience one way and then another another way and, and you know not be limited by what you what the programmers have put in and, and just sort of would you say that there's uh, like a great deal of sort of using online and patching and things that, that that could make that work better or would you would you say that it's more of a A thing that can be done with one sort of algorithm obviously i don't really know how this works so
3: i mean what they did with no man's sky is is a start but i think it's not enough i think if they didn't take it to such a huge scale they could have focused on more on like procedural storytelling and procedural characters and proceed and you know if, if they didn't go for such a huge scale and focused on something a bit smaller like for example uh you know a reasonable a reasonably sized map uh, that you would expect in in an open world game i think uh, you could focus on thing on you could actually make a game that you know is is as fun to play and as believable as something like skyrim i think we'll eventually get there and i would love to work on something like that
2: so some of our audience members might be aspiring to start making video games what would your advice to them be just from from the very start
3: the main point is to only do it if you love it i mean you have to really love video games and you have to love making video games a lot of people you know think that it's easy but it's really not (laughs) um and also i would i would you know make it a point to not sacrifice too much for it Because the moment it starts feeling like a job, I mean, it kind of loses its charm. I mean, I'm making this for fun more than anything else. One thing that I think has really helped me is to be self-critical. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have to really consider what you're making and, you know, you need to compare it with what's out there. I'm not saying it has to be, you know, the best, but... I feel like if something I'm making is not good enough for me, it's not good enough for anyone else.
1: What can life be like as a as a game developer? What, what can it be um,
3: like? Well, a lot of people, you know, um, just quit. A lot of developers quit their jobs to, you know, try and make in the games and, like, take it on as a job. Sometimes people even do Kickstarters, and then, you know, if your Kickstarter succeeds, it's your job. Uh, I didn't want to go down that route mainly because i'm not in a place in my life where i can afford to go without a paycheck so you know i i wanted to do this because i lo- i love it and because it's a kind of a hobby of mine but it's still it's still pretty challenging to balance you know balance having a full-time job balance having a, a social life and working on the game especially if you're doing everything yourself when i feel like i'm not managing like i mean i work as a programmer so you know i spend eight hours coding at work sometimes i get back home and i don't feel like doing coding so i either work on the art or the music and that is the reason why i didn't go for a kickstarter or something because this way i don't really have deadlines i set my own deadlines
1: i think some people i mean it's touching on something we said earlier but some people who want to get started making a game uh, might not necessarily know how to code and it will probably be quite an intimidating thing what advice would you say to the people who both want to get started coding and want to get started without the coding
3: um i recommend starting with something like uh, unity and game maker and definitely follow a tutorial there are a lot of brilliant tutorials that can really help out even a complete beginner when i started out with game maker I had no idea how to code at all. And I still managed to make a couple of small games. So if you follow tutorials, it's it's really easy. And once you start learning coding, it all starts making sense. You just don't have to give up and just focus. Coding is actually really easy once you, once you get used to it. You just need to stick to it and eventually you get better. I mean, even when I started the Wish Grunter, I mean, I keep going back to the early days and fixing code. And I think to myself, I mean, how could I do something like this? because uh, now I have a different perspective from experience working in the industry but, and also working on the Witch Grunter itself. So you will make mistakes and it will be frustrating, but you know you get better as you go along.
2: I think that, that brings to a close uh, the interview, but thanks very much for being on the show,
3: Luca. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah,
1: and uh, finally, what can our audience do to support you and support the game?
3: You Obviously, vote on Steam Greenlight, um, and then just... You know, follow on Twitter and I have a Tumblr devlog that I update very frequently, Um, you know, and to help out, you know, spread the word as best as they can.
1: Fantastic. Well, we certainly hope people do support you because we will be retweeting you and, and all sorts of things. So, yeah, once again, thank you for being on the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Congratulations to at Sean Sig. You've won yourself a free copy of Zombie Vikings. That concludes our current wave of competition. Stay tuned to the podcast for any possible future giveaways though, guys. And thanks again to Luca Parascandolo for appearing on the show. And well done for getting the wish granted greenlit only days after we recorded your interview, mate. Well done. Huge cheers to the lord of music himself, Master Geordie Baines. Now then, speaking of music, before we close off, Alan is going to metaphorically drop the bass and beatbox some dubstep for us. So until next time, guys, rave on.